0: Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm
1: Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers, agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step.
0: Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode, and if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property, and our where to buy a workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really.
1: Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit the disclaimer you of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice we always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording but things change so check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information
0: In this episode, we're going to answer your questions. We've got questions about fire orders in apartment buildings, timing your purchase in a rising market, choosing whether to buy an apartment to live in now or a house to rent out first and move in in the future, the impact of climate change on your choice of location and rent-to-buy schemes. What a range of topics. Thank you all for your questions. Be sure to contact us via the website if you've got things you'd like us to answer in future episodes.
1: Wow, we are going across the board, up, down and through (laughs) the middle, aren't we today? (laughs) We are. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, interestingly,
1: our first question is from Michael. It is one for you, Veronica. It is a <laughs> Sydney-based question. It's about apartment buildings. And Michael asks, I've noticed when I look in the lower North Shore that a lot of properties have high strata. So that's the strata lev- levies. I've heard councils are starting to audit strata-run buildings to confirm they are up to fire code, etc. Obviously important. Yep. Would be interested to hear your thoughts on this, including at what point it's okay So let's say they've done the roof, the fireproofing and the painting. However, they have windows and doors left on the list of works that they have planned for the building. Veronica, there's a lot in this, isn't there?
0: There is a lot in this and and we won't go into the great nitty gritty of fire orders on buildings, but... Suffice to say that the councils um, uh, have been starting and different councils have been starting to go through buildings and, and put fire orders on them. And the fire orders might say things like your entire fire um, prevention system needs to be upgraded and that can be things like sprinklers, fire hoses, uh, fireproof doors. Um, there's just so many things. So the list for some buildings, I've heard of some that have they've had a bill of a million dollars. You know, and I've had heard of oh, others oh, that it's And, only and been... where does
1: that go? Where's that million dollars come from,
0: Veronica? Oh, from the owners, yes. So... Mm. This is a real, we have seen a lot of special levies that have been slapped on buildings because they've had to raise extra funds to pay for this. And so, therefore, there's a there's a certificate that comes that I look for. I mean, I look for a lot of things I look in the Strata Report and it's obviously part of our course to talk mm-hmm. to what you look for. Um, there's a certificate that's called the Annual Fire Service Hang on, annual fire safety service certificate um, that is issued and um, given to local councils. Now, sometimes that's missing, and so I always ask the strata manager, why is it missing? And sometimes the strata manager says, well, because council don't require us to give one. And that for me is a sign that says, this building is risky because it hasn't had an order on it. And it's a it bit of a could be a red flag, isn't it? Well, it could be that it has a perfect system. Yeah. And it could be that it's not been audited. So therefore, you'd want to know, okay, has this building got a perfect system or not? Mm. So if you've got any doubts there, you've got to be understanding that, yes, these can run into a very expensive bill for owners. Um, And if it's all been done, that's a big plus in the favour of the building as well because you know, well, you're not up for that and someone else has had to pay for it. Um, And the other thing too is that they will have a full schedule of works and what you will will be able to do is see where they're up to in that process Mm. as Michael's asking. And I guess what I would want to know is, well, how much has been done what is the cost? How have they costed out what's left? Have they got quotes? Have they awarded a contract or not? Mm. You know, how certain, how much information, and certainty can you get around that? And how much money have they got in the kitty? And mm. how much have they raised? And how much are they likely to have to raise through special levies? And this is only one area of that you need to look at with strata. Only one, but it can potentially be a very expensive area. So it's a really good question. So special
1: levies Veronica I just want to delve into that a little bit so when you look at a property that you're going to buy you have body corporate levies or strata levies and those levies are essentially the fixed amounts that have been agreed upon that are going to cover the administrative side your insurance and admin and so forth and the sinking fund or capital work side which is upkeep of the building so if you look at that and you think all right well that's Let's put a round number of $5,000 a year. Um, I've got a budget $5,000 a year. If a special levy comes Mm. along, that is an additional amount on top of your $5,000 to cover something that actually hasn't been accounted for yet. And that could be, as you said, if you've got a building of 10 owners and there's a million-dollar bill, that's a lot of money to find. Ouch.
0: Yeah, and I've heard horrible stories. Uh, (laughs) So it's worthwhile being very wary about this, absolutely. So you've got to dig, 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 nothing beats due diligence. (laughs) Now we've got a question from Will and it's all about working out the best time to buy. And this is a question, apart from where to buy, when to buy is a big question a lot of people ask. Yeah, Yeah. Will's asked, it appears that the market is up again. Yeah, We're recording Mm -hmm. this in December 2020 and we'll be releasing this episode in March uh, 2021 and we are expecting the market to to you know continue to be on the upward trajectory next year so yes is it time to buy now given that a lot of forecasts suggest a big rise um i am not sure whether i want to compromise to get into the market now or whether i should wait for the right one because there are not many houses to choose from just don't know about the price movement what are your thoughts on this one
1: well, it's, it's an interesting question because as you say, apart from where to buy, when to buy is the next big one and there's no set answer for that. But you know, generally speaking, what we say is the time to buy is when you can afford it regardless of what the market is doing. But in a rapidly rising market, and right now in December, Veronica and I don't crystal ball. We don't pretend to predict what we think is going to happen. What we observe is supply and demand. And supply and demand are the two things that affect the direction of the market and the speed of the direction of the market. So at the moment, we have an oversupply of buyers and an undersupply of property. And that generally puts upward pressure on prices. So again, December 2020, we're not seeing any sort of change in sentiment, any kind of change in interest rates or any other factors apart from COVID that would tell us that this inequity of supply is going to change very quickly into the near future. And we're talking mm-hmm. about the major capital cities here and some large regional areas as well in specific locations. This yep. is not an across the board rising market that we're talking about. We're typically um, talking
0: houses as well. and Typically talking
1: houses a- as opposed to apartments. Yeah, definitely. and apartments
0: if they're scarce. And that's something that we delve into a lot in your home buyer guide, uh, your first home buyer guide. But yeah, so, um, but what Megan's saying there is that when prices are rising, the panic hits in, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, the fear of
1: missing out is such a powerful emotional response that people have. But I I think we'll, One thing that I want to pull out there is you're not sure whether you want to compromise to get into the market now or whether you should wait for the right one. Will, I'm really sorry, but you're always going to compromise and it doesn't matter what budget you've got, (laughs) whether you've got $500,000 or $5 million, Mm -hmm. you are going to compromise. And if you're seeking out the perfect property, you are still going to be searching for a home in five years and the market will have surpassed you significantly by then so what you need to do is have a really good hard look at your your three p's and we we actually have a tutorial um, that you can do through home buyer academy where you force yourself to look at compromises which ones are acceptable and which ones aren't depending on location depending on you know how much you've got to pay and depending on the kind of property that you're looking at so, Will, I'd, I'd say it's time for a little bit of navel gazing there to have a, a good think about what compromises you are prepared to make because you are going to make compromises regardless of whether the property whether the property market is rising rapidly or whether it's stagnant and you're in a position where you can negotiate hard. So, so I'm going to pull that bit out of the when to buy sort of question. So, we talked <laughs> about the inequity of um, more buyers at the moment and less properties to choose from. So, yes, there's going to be compromises. Is the perfect property going to come along? No, there will be the right set of compromises that will come along. And what you you need to do is have yourself in a position that when you find that right set of compromises, you move forth with due diligence and the purchasing strategy that buys that property at a price that is correct at the time in the market.
0: And the yep. only thing I would add is that if your compromise means that, look, I can only afford to buy a tiny one bedroom apartment now. And if I wait because I'm going to be earning more money, and maybe in a year's time or two years' time, I'll have a much better deposit. And even if prices rise, I can outsave the market because I'm on a really good wicket. Then that might be the only time that you would actually wait. If you're buying something really, really, really tiny that you're going to Better acquire quality. really quickly, yeah, or mm. it's really poor quality, so that that would be the only caveat to what Megan's saying. But absolutely, 100% agree. If you uh, you you got to wrap your head around the C word. Compromise that it does and, and I seriously I've been I've talked I've talked to people with with seven eight nine ten million dollar budgets yep. and they're still not happy because they can't get what they want so we'll, we'll never have enough money I think we have to accept
1: <laughs> and even if you're up your budget you're up your expectations often exactly so you've got to be careful about that too all right we've got a great question here from Mahesh all about options for maximizing financial returns from 1st home buyer grants when you have a good income children and a good deposit. So Mahesh is a first home buyer in Victoria, and currently there are stamp duty exemptions for first home buyers buying up to six hundred thousand dollars, and then a marginal decrease in um, stamp duty from six hundred thousand to seven hundred and fifty. Now, this is correct at time of recording, which is December. These are changing constantly, so check with your government authority on this one. Mahesh's affordability sits at $800,000 with a deposit of $180,000. Uh, so a bit over 20% there. Uh, both earning good salaries, have no dependents yet and they have two options as they see it. Yeah. Firstly buy an option, not a, uh, by a unit, sorry. Uh, not an apartment for $600,000. i
0: am not sure what the I difference is I don't know what he means by that. <laughs> <think> <laughs> so Let's just say buy a unit. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's talking year. about a villa unit, you know, those Possibly. little villa units they t- they yeah. um, they call them in Victoria, which is a single level um, townhouse really.
1: Uh, mm. Okay. Yeah. There's little individual differences yeah, in every state. state. Live in it for a year, avail themselves of the stamp duty exemptions and then rent and buy a new property after five years. Or two, buy land and house, say around 700 square metres for $750,000, rent it out and then move into it after five years once the area develops. He's after a model that will give him the best financial returns and they are currently renting and do not want to move out for the next year. Wow, there's a lot going on here. There is. Uh, In your experience as buyers agents, do you see such a dilemma for first home buyers? What are your recommendations? And he understands that he should engage a financial planner, but he just wants to understand at a broader level first. Good answer a good good answer to your own question
0: yeah that's basically <laughs> it really isn't it no no <laughs> the thing um and Mahesh has got some great options and obviously it's great that they both on, earn good salaries and they've been saving a lot of money and they've got more than 20 percent um and they which means that they could actually buy uh, a more expensive property than the cap's that give them all the, all the first-time buyer benefits. And I think when he says, I want the best financial return, I suspect he's thinking I want to maximise the, the freebies I get from the government. Now, we've done an episode on, on the follies of this and so I can point you back to that, which is while I'm talking, I'll look it up. And uh, and also within the course, there's there's quite, we, we delve
1: in quite deep, further than the podcast mm. into incentives and different and, and things that actually the behaviour that gets inspired within people to fall within the price ranges of incentives and grants yep. and so forth, and and it's such a big thing to get out of your head, um, but certainly it, once Veronica finds a podcast, it's episode six,
0: be, so go six. back to episode six and check that, but. The biggest issue with this is, I think, that he's limiting his options because of the grants Hmm. when actually he has more options available to him than most first-home buyers and he's in such a good position that he runs the risk of actually ruining that great position he's in because he's focusing on trying to maximise the grants. Fitting within a bubble yeah that everyone else is in as well we could highly recommend the where to buy tutorial the where to buy workshop for Mahesh but the things that we would say is that looking at and and I guess the other thing too is that because they're quite happy to stay where they're living at the moment and buy Mm. something and rent it out for a while and all the rest of that does open up flexibility and so I would be saying really what he needs to do is think like an investor and look to buy in the best quality location that he can can find and the best type of property within a location and so I wouldn't be looking way out you know in the burbs in the new house and land development area I'd be looking at scarcity I'd be looking at buying really as close into the CBD as possible and not an apartment I agree with him he says not an apartment Um, look at those villa units absolutely Um, but I think Potentially you can afford a better asset A better house, that. yeah, house and, and land in a better location.
1: And, he's got and, and when I say house and land, not build house and land, yeah. an established, established house on land.
0: And mm. they also they've got no dependents yet, but they mention is that they're pre-kids, no dependents yet, which means they're obviously thinking of having kids. And so they could potentially afford to buy something that becomes, becomes their family home. And I think that, and also he sort of mentions about, you know, renting out, buying house and land package and moving into it once the area develops well there's so much risk in that because what if it doesn't develop in a way that he would want to live there or that is some some suburbs have a develop a great character and others don't there's no real predictive um there's no size to say right this is going to be good and this one isn't so there's danger in that yeah high risk strategy yeah yeah you're looking at established areas as close in as you can get buying the best quality asset that could potentially become a family home this is like a broken record aren't we
1: just yeah.
0: start, just stick, Lucky with stick with the
1: fundamentals stick with the fundamentals and
0: he's got <laughs> options so don't Options,
1: but you answered your question, go and speak to a financial advisor who understands property and he's mm. not trying to sell you anything in particular. So they're not aligned with developers. They're not yep. aligned with real estate agents. They are asking you, asking you, asking you, asking you, and then developing a strategy that will work for you.
0: And they don't try to talk you out, buying, out of buying a property and into buying a share portfolio, <laughs> because the problem is, your know, first home is a really important thing to buy, and you don't want to compromise it. By you know, if you can afford to buy a really good quality asset, then that's fantastic. Take advantage of that. But yeah. you want to buy, as I said, as Megan said, finding a financial planner who understands property, because otherwise they'll actually be downgrading and trying to encourage you to buy a lower. Grade so that there's money left for you to invest in shares. In shares, yeah. And you need. They'll make some money from commissions. Exactly. Ask them how they're paid. And if they're paid a fee for service for the advice they give you, then that's a lot better than if they're paid a percentage of the amount of money that you invest through them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we've got one from Alyssa and, you know, we'd like to have more women write in. We've got quite a few women doing the course, doing the beta course, but they're not writing in questions. So please, women, write your questions in. Here's one from Alyssa, which is a perfect one for you to answer, Megan. My biggest challenge is trying to determine how much weight to give to climate change in choosing locations, fire and flood risk, As we had at the beginning of 2020, oh dear, and in fact floods recently too. Combined water, water security, (laughs) and urban heat affective factors. I'm trying to grasp.
1: What do you think? Such an interesting area because absolutely. So I'm a Brisbane-based buyers agent. So you can imagine that flood is one of the very first searches that we do. Flood and overland flow. Um, So and 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 if a property does suffer from those things, they're usually a no. Mm. so melissa it is really important to understand in different areas what effect and risk factors there are and and if there is an effect on property and you can often you can often kind of get a feel for this in talking to real estate agents about properties that they haven't got listed at the moment but about different areas they'll often say oh yeah that flooded or this one (laughs) didn't or you know there's fire risk over there or um you know it's in a gully and there's not a lot of uh, particularly if they <laughs> here's a tip for you particularly if if there are other properties for sale in an area that they don't have a property for sale yes um, they're more inclined to give you the real truth about an area yeah. than if they've got a property to sell in that, that area so um you will find that prices are affected by these things because as people have more and more access to information you can get this information free online through council websites and so forth as people are more aware of these things they the price of of a property that is affected by Mm. flood versus one that isn't is is quite different but we find after a period of time so in brisbane you know last major flood was 2011 um, people's memories get shorter and shorter so the price differential between a property that flooded and one that didn't has actually gotten narrower and narrower it was huge to start with and people gave flooded properties a big swerve as as they should but Mm. um it you know, it's big, that that price differential has become less and less. So you've got to be really, really careful. And and certainly we've had students who have been buying in bushland areas in Victoria, where there are um, a huge amount of requirements around. Uh, fireproof you know fire strategies and and how houses are built and so forth so that they're not not negatively impacted if there's an event um, I think at this point in time you know water security probably not as much urban heat well you go into a place that doesn't have airflow that doesn't have natural light that has a bad layout that is oriented towards too much of the Sun in Brisbane or not enough of the Sun in the southern states um, then these sorts of things affect how the, the house can be cooled or heated so they're things that people People absolutely take into account what weight do you give them they're often a livability factor mm.
0: And in reality that I do believe that's going to become more and more an issue in property then both tenants and owner and mm. buyers are going to start demanding better livability features in their homes and so more shade you know better insulation um, you know there's a whole a solar paneling all that sort of stuff to keep their keep their bills down. But also just make the homes a lot more comfortable to live in. So I think it is the way of the future. So keep an eye on it. But I think what Megan says about people having a short memory, it is so true. And the case in point is all those people in the, on the beachfront in Womberall, you yeah. know, those houses hanging off, you know, over the, the sand there. Yeah. And, and all the old neighbors saying, well, 40 years ago, this exact thing happened. <laughs>
1: so there you this go. It's not new. Yeah. <laughs> just that you are, neighbor. So all right, remember, last question <laughs> for the episode is um about uh rent to buy schemes hi from i like so, that from
0: Zohabe. <laughs> Zohabe, I, got his, I got his name right on the on the uh facebook live so i had to Excellent.
1: say it. <laughs> okay uh so zohaib's loving the wisdom wisdom and experience shared thanks a ton great to share it with you. Interested in knowing your opinion on renting to buy schemes. Now this is a whole different area, isn't it? But, Mm. you know, definitely worth looking at and and examining. One friend has contacted a rent to buy company who are happy to lend him the deposit for a new newer construction. They've quoted him a rent to buy of $760 a week for a $720,000 house in in Sydney. Um, the house size will be around 350 to 400 square metres. I assume that's not the land size.
0: That's I think that's a land size because I can't imagine the house being that big. The house but anyway huge, mm.
1: yeah. Uh, the deposit will be on... 6% interest, so that's the deposit only, I'm assuming mm-hmm. 20%, whilst the bank loan will cost them 2.5% as, a, as an owner occupier. Uh, the catch is that my friend has to go for a new construction, which has to be from their company contacts only. I'm sure this is where the company will make their margin. Mm. Can I pick your opinion on this scenario, please? I am well aware that any suggestion you provide will be of a general nature. You've been listening to us a lot. God love him. <laughs> Oh, oh dear. Veronica. In and of themselves, can we first say, it is not necessarily a bad thing, mm. a rent to buy. There is just so much to understand and lots and lots of risks.
0: I think the big problem is that you get tied in with, you, you sort of thinking, this is the only way I can buy a property. You know, this is my only chance. And if you're thinking that way, you're more likely to sign up for a liability that could Become a bit of a nightmare, and you do have to compare apples with apples. Right, you have to sort of say, right, well, is this house really worth seven hundred and twenty thousand dollars? If my rent is seven hundred sixty dollars a week, that sounds like a lot on a seven hundred twenty thousand dollars house. So I'm paying more rent than is normal. The six percent interest, well, I guess I think you get less on that on a personal loan these days. Like that sounds like a lot. Even the two point five percent interest potentially might be a lot. Like, I don't, I'm don't. i not saying it is. I'm just saying that you'd need to sort of think, mm-hmm. have they built in a, a premium in every step of this that for them compounds and for you compounds too, that you end up paying more money for an overpriced house in an area where you're surrounded by other people exactly like you who are in equally tight financial situations? If anyone has to sell... It's not a great scenario because who are you going to sell to? And that they're the sort of things that be going through my head. You know, you really want to say, is this house? Would this house really be worth seven hundred and twenty thousand in the next suburb? For starters.
1: Yep. yep. And Veronica, then there's all those other. You touched on it. What if you need to sell? What are the terms of the rent to buy agreement? How long is the loan? What are your exit strategies? Are you are you limited? By the time frame that you have to live in the property before you can actually sell it, so there's all these other questions that aren't associated with a you know just a straight arm's length purchase from a seller through an agent mortgage through a bank mm-hmm. all those sorts of things there, there are all this whole other layer of relationships that you need to investigate and understand because remember the person who's going to have the upper hand in this relationship is the the company that put, is putting the deal together you are the one who are a little bit at their mercy and you need to really understand what the risks are to you um how long you're going to be there what does it mean have lawyers look at the the agreements um make sure that there's nothing in there that could catch you out it, Know if you miss a repayment, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. It could have it could have far more ramifications than if you miss a repayment with a bank. Um, so yeah. there, there's a lot of in-depth analysis and um, due diligence that you need to do. Not just on the property; that's obviously vitally important. It's got to be the right property. It has to be good investment fundamentals and the right price. But the relationship and the nature of the um, business relationship you're entering into, because it kind of is a business relationship, isn't it?
0: Who's the developer? Who are the builders that they have on their, um, you know, in their books that they're saying you can only build through, mm. you know, this, this, you know, what are these builders? What's their track record? You know, how do they deal with um, uh, defects? Structural issues. Yeah. yeah. How do they deal with that? Like, I'll give you. This is a, a literally a new story, um, and I put the link actually in the show notes. And literally just this week, I read about this. This is a. Entire suburb in Western Sydney that is sinking because there's 850 homes. Um, it has they're all brand new homes, or all, all new homes, very new, very recently built homes. The entire mm. suburb is a brand new suburb. It was built by Lend Lease, developed by Lend Lease. These are a huge organisation, uh, well known, big Good reputation, bagging. and mm. and you would, I mean, and they've had to then enter into a buyback scheme. For I think 90 of the houses now, That's but right. there's 850 in the suburb, and even the council has said, "Look, you're all affected." Even though Len Lisa said so far only 90. So, this isn't a big organisation who will stand by mm-hmm. their product and 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 will want to ba- protect their brand. And um, you know, it's a publicly listed company, mm-hmm. so so they have a you know. There, you'd be thinking they're the safe ones to go with, and even though, yes, there's a buyback. This has been going for two years and it's been hell for the people who bought in this. So this is a sort of, it's a really bad example. It's a bit like the Opal Towers, the apartment building in Sydney, that's cracking yeah. on Christmas Eve, but very extreme, but but obviously very possible. And and as I said, this is a company that is standing by its product, but that doesn't necessarily help people who've got houses with whopping great big cracks because they're basically sinking. So so and the, point, and the point, I really want to just jump in. I'm sorry, but um,
1: the point there is that's a, that's a company who do want to protect their mm. reputation, they have yeah. longevity in the marketplace, they have a long-term plan. Um, if you're buying from a small-time, you know, sing- maybe a you know, husband and wife team or a couple of mates that are putting together a bit of a deal and, mm. you know, ha- how are you going to know that they're going to stand behind their product for the, yep. the, the long-term um, or could it be really much easier for them to just bankrupt themselves and go out of business and deal with Leave your you. issues if you have a problem with the property?
0: Yeah, so... I just think there are a lot of extra risks so and we don't like brand new anyway. And when you add, add even more risks in, I just be very, very careful. Mm. Owning a home is great as long as it's a really good asset. And if you buy into some sort of nightmare scheme, I think you'd real they'd be hoping that they didn't get into it. So a lot more research is required before committing. That's uh, I think that's the moral Absolutely. of that story. There you go. Okay, well, in this episode, we've touched on some of the things that you can learn in our 10-step online course for first home buyers. And if you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to the website, which is homebuyeracademy.com.au. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review with five stars, please. It'll help others find us as well. And thanks for joining us. We
1: hope you found this really useful. If you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with more Priceless Stuff.